I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. I'm your host Luke Brown and joining me in the studio this week we have sports editor Ben Burrows and columnist Tony Evans. The past few days have seen some eye-catching results for some of English football's heavyweights. Manchester United were soundly beaten by West Ham in the Premier League, while Tottenham crashed out of the Carabao Cup in Colchester just days after losing to Leicester. So, is this the season that could finally see the death of the Big Six? Tony, let's come to you first because you were at the London Stadium over the weekend. What did you make of that match and how convincing was West Ham's 2-0 victory? Well, it was pretty convincing, but... West Ham weren't very good. They didn't have to be. It was remarkable, really. It's, um, I, I, I was at the um, London Stadium last year for the uh, West Ham United game, sort of when Mourinho played a back five, and it was the most disorganised United te- team I've ever seen and the most disorganised Mourinho team. And I thought, I'm probably never going to see a worse United team. Scroll on a year, <laughs> and it's worse. They were more organised, to be fair, but you know what? Oh, they were awful. And uh, whoever thought we'd see a uh, United midfield of Matic and McTominay? Unbelievable. Uh, they were so ponderous in the midfield. There was no Christmas in, crispness in the passing. And they were, they were just so poor. Was the midfield even their biggest problem? Because, I mean, going forward, obviously, Rashford was struggling to make any impact. He's now injured. Martial's coming back from injury. Greenwood's only just broken into into the first team. So do you think that kind of lack of cutting edge of all their problems is the biggest one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you sell a 20-goal season striker and you don't replace him. And Rashford, Rashford works hard. And, but he's not. He's not a uh, he's not he's not a goal scoring striker. He's he's a support striker. He's an inside forward. He, you know he, he he's got pace and he'll stretch the defence, but he hasn't got that clinical knack of hitting the ball into the corner. You know he, he'll get a shot on target, but the keeper will save them. Um, and Martial, I like Martial, but again he's unproven. And now the, Manchester United are pinning all the hopes on a teenager, which is absolutely unbelievable. It's um, I don't see where the goals are going to come from this season. And the supplies are awful as well. One matter was, um, you know, sort of, obviously the creative hub of that team. And, you know, I, I, I was never the greatest fan of matter. Clearly talented and people love him. You know, he's a bright fella. And he, but, you know, when the ball comes into him at all, one touch, two touch, three touch, four touch, you know, he's, he slows the game down. And he, he, he put a pass through to Rashford early in the second half. And superficially, it looked great. It went straight to Rashford's feet. But for two yards in front of him, Rashford's got a chance to run in on goal. At his feet, the defender gets back. And it was that sort of thing all the time. There was, there was no cutting edge and no creativity. Obviously, they do have a lot of injuries, which kind of explains why people like Matter are, are starting matches. Ben, how much blame do you think we should be placing upon Solskjaer's shoulders? Because, you know, he, he has had a lot of issues to contend with. But then we're hearing from... Miguel's story earlier in the week that it was kind of his decision to let Lukaku go and he didn't want to work with Lukaku, blah, blah, blah. So how much kind of blame should we be attributing to him? 
I think it's sort of it's quite easy to to make it all about the sort of the faceless guy, and it's all about Ed Woodward and the structure and having loads of Twitter followers and social media impressions, but nothing on the pitch. But I think that's a bit simple. I think, I mean, since the infamous PSG game, United have lost ten of the nineteen games since then. So you can't just put that all on the CEO. I think he has been exposed at times with sort of a bit of a tactical naivety by better managers in the league. But also he has been let down in the fact that they didn't quite get everybody. But then that's, it's too simplistic. I mean, there's half the league would have, would bite your hand off for a, a window of Wan-Bissaka, Maguire and Danny James. So he has been supported. So at a certain point, you have to say that he has to do better, I think. Tony, in your follow-up piece from West Ham, you wrote that Solskjaer has essentially been kind of fated to fail since he's been appointed at United. What exactly did you, do you did you mean by that? And do you think that kind of Edward Wood has just, yeah, cut him adrift almost? Well, I was, uh, uh, to put that into context, it was, well, a couple of years ago. I was having a drink with a good friend of Edward Woods and, um, and I said to him, I said, look, I know he's your mate. I said, but... He's a pretty poor football executive. And he says, oh, yeah. He said, and he knows it. And, I, you know, I nearly fainted. And, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's the chief executive's not good enough. The manager's not good enough. And the players aren't good enough. You know, it's a, I, the, the window wasn't bad. Maguire, Wan-Bissaka, and both of them. Well, Maguire had an off day. Um, you know, he was very, very poor on the, go- on the first goal. And uh, well, Wan-Bissaka was, was, was okay. You know, he'll, he'll develop into a player. And they shouldn't have too many issues in that defence. But it, it's all over the pitch. You know, you, 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 you know sort of uh, Dan James is... At one time, if he come to Man United, he would have been he would have been on the bench for quite you know a significant amount of time, and we would have got to see whether he'd develop. He was he was virtually anonymous on Sunday. He's he's not the sort of player that the you know the, the great Man United teams they would have necessarily have bought. You know they they always bought the best, and um, and he, I'm, I'm not quite sure he's the best. So so I think you've got this situation where. The, the club is really directionless, except of course when it comes to making money, because the you know the records record profits this week, and so someone's doing something right. Unfortunately, it's not on the pitch. Do you think Woodward's just out of his depth essentially, or do you think it's just a series of kind of bad or misguided decisions? I, I, I think it's it's bad decisions. I, I think the thing that Manchester United were really unfortunate about is that Ferguson retired when he did, and uh, which was a surprise. And David Gill was already planning to, to leave, and so they lost all their expertise at the same time, and they haven't managed to fill the vacuums in either position yet, either in the boardroom or in the dugout, and until they actually do that and get both those positions right, they'll have problems, and you know, you, you, they look to me like a bottom half of the table team on Sunday. I think so much of it for United is something that Miguel's going to touch on in a piece later this week. I think so much of it is now almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, so as a fan of a team who aren't one of the top six, when you when you used to go to Old Trafford, you'd be like, you'd take a 3-0 loss and that would happily walk away with that because it could be far, far worse. But now, everything that's happened over the last two, three, four, five, six years, now you think they're beatable. So teams mm. go in to play against Manchester United and you think you can win. They used to make your life a misery and now they're making people's day. So it's that all bleeds onto the pitch. It's that mentality that we aren't beaten. It's we can go and get some off these, and that sort of that just snowballs in games 
where mm. you, you're given an inch like they were for the goal. And then West Ham won the up, and they think, right, we've got these now. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Ben. Uh, I was there the first, I was at the London Stadium, first day of the season when Man City come in. West Ham didn't think they could win, didn't even try. It was really, I mean, I was outraged by the performance, and I spilled that into, you know, into print, you know, one of them. Uh, and I was, I was fuming. Now, West Ham weren't that good on Sunday, but they thought they could beat United. There was no fear. You know, against City, they just, you could tell there was no, they, they set out to minimise, you know, the beating they were going to get. And they conceded four. Against United, didn't play well, but they were always trying to get on the front foot. And, um, and you know, they, they had no respect for United. And the way United are at the moment, no one has. Ben, we're hearing this week that United are scouting uh, Dembele from Barcelona and Mandzukic as well, um, potentially moving for them in January. Do you think that a kind of big signing like that could help put things right for Solskjaer or are they beyond the kind of marquee summer, um, winter arrival? I don't I mean, there's not many teams really bar City or Liverpool signing Kante off Chelsea where one player could transform an entire team, especially for a team like United who are far and away more than one player away from being making a real difference. I think... A guy like Mario Mandzukic, a guy who's been around and won a lot, he isn't glamorous, glamorous in any way, but he is the kind of guy you'd think that Fergie, once upon a time, would have had a look at a guy like that, like a sort of Louis Saha figure who wasn't a sexy side in any way, but he knew, right, he can, he can give me something I haven't got already. I don't hate that. It's not pretty in any way, and I think for Manchester United and all the resources they've got, if that's the sort of how far down the pecking order they've got to, that they're going to sign a guy who you've effectively giving away, doesn't bode that well, but... He would help. It's sort of it, again. It highlights the sort of quite just that that split vision from the very top, where they've got this big idea. You speak to Woodward, tells you this thing on conference calls. They've got this big long-term vision for what they want to be, which is good and it sounds great on a on a conference call with investors. But then it's like it, the short-term view of letting a, a your top scorer from a year ago leave on deadline day mm. and not replacing him is just incredibly short-termist, and it was never going to be the right decision like that straight away. So I don't think they're one player away, no. I think it would be, they either one of those players would improve them because I think they need improving. And in as many ways as numbers, to be honest, especially, especially in that part of the pitch. But they are no way one player away from competing, really, I, mean, I don't think. Clearly there's no faith in the philosophy if your first sort of response to a bit of difficulty is going out and signing Mandzukic in January. Um, final question on United for both of you. Do you think they'll finish in the top four this season? Do you think they'll finish in the top six this season? And and where do you kind of think Solskjaer will be will be hoping that they kind of eventually come? I I right now I don't see a way into the top four for them. I think their only hope is the fact that, as I'm sure we'll touch on, teams around them aren't that much better either. So they could be saved by that. But they do look at they they're certainly a less complete team with a a far inferior manager to Tottenham, so and the way sort of Chelsea feel to be sort of rounding into an idea of what they want to be, I think that doesn't bode necessarily very well for United either. I think they're, they're way outside the top six. I think they're, um, they're, they're a long way away. They'd need to do some significant surgery in January. And um, there is, as Ben said, some hope that they can back into a high position in the league because the rest are so bad. But I think people get their act together. I don't see where where Solskjaer can go with this squad. I mean, Pogba's coming back. It's, um, 
you know, he's the one genuine superstar they've got. Um, he, he hasn't really fulfilled his potential either time he was at United. But, you know, maybe if you build around him and, and make him the focus of everything you do, but even so, still don't see it. Okay, on to Tottenham. So um, they lost to Leicester over the weekend. Um, quite unlucky in that match. They started reasonably well. They then lost on penalties to Colchester last night on Tuesday night. Um, ben, is that the worst result of their season, do you think, so far, the, the Colchester penalty it's, shootout defeat? It's sort of a twofold answer. I think that, quietly, Pochettino would tell you no. I think, as he's been very open about, he's not that bothered about winning this competition anyway. So if you're going to lose at some point, it may as well be earlier on and save your legs, which is a crazy thing for a team that needs to win that first trophy. I think, I mean, it's a bad result, clearly. That team, even with the changes, had more than enough to go and beat Colchester last night. And they were nowhere near at it. I think, as we've discussed in the studio before, I think they've they've been nowhere near it at times for most of the season, really. I think the 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 result that, Tony was there for when they lost to Newcastle was a, an incredibly poor result, incredibly poor performance. They were arguably even worse when they went to City and got battered and drew 2-2. So it's it's not been great. It's, yeah, it's you don't want to be losing to Colchester in any way. So, I mean, it's not looking great. Let me just read a quote. So uh, after the game, Pochettino um, is kind of quizzed on the performance. He says... When you have an unsettled squad, always it is difficult and you lose time and then you need time to recover the time you lose. That's where we are. That quote has been getting plenty of attention and kind of scrutiny on social media and Tottenham fans haven't taken it particularly well. Um, Tony, who do you think is to blame for the players being unsettled? Because obviously you've got the element of the fact that, you know, they left their business in the summer until quite late and they had all these contract situations they needed to resolve. But then could it be Pochettino? Because he spent all this time flirting with United and Real Madrid. He's suggested he could leave after the Champions League final. And now he's moaning that his, his players are unsettled. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think, you know, they needed to do the business earlier. But Tottenham always leave it late. They like to leave it late, and um, which which doesn't help. I mean, they've got players who want to leave and won't sign contracts, and obviously that's an issue. And then you've got Pochettino's personality, where he's a terrible man if he falls out with you for blanking you and ignoring you, and players don't like that. Uh, and and the se- a number of senior players in the squad have lost faith with him. Um, uh, you know, he was uh, after the. Newcastle game, he basically said, I forget the exact phrase, but you know, judges after the transfer windows shut, you know, you've got you've got issues, you've got players who um who you know don't want to be here, who basically disrupt the group mentality. And um I think it's far wider than that. Uh what after the Aston Villa game, one of the players sort of going through the mix zone uh, said, Oh, I'm not gonna stop, I'm not gonna say anything, I'll get fined. He said, Don't worry, the time will come. And off he went. Uh, there's there was a real high level of dissatisfaction among some of the senior players. Do you think that time will come though? Because usually, if you've had this many established first team players kind of showing dissatisfaction with the manager and not performing, the club would sack the manager. But players like Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen, Christian Eriksen, they're all going to be gone next summer. Players like Danny Rose most probably going to be gone. They're all running out their contracts. So does it make sense for Tottenham to sack Pochettino or do something about Pochettino and then lose all these players in the summer? 
Well, yeah, I mean, they should have addressed that before. And, um, you know, we've talked on this pub before a number of times about, uh, you know, so the chief executive once said to me, he said, like, uh, after three years, you know, you, you have to make a decision, either sack the players or sack the manager because they stopped listening to them. He said, you know, you know which one's the cheaper? Um, they should have addressed this before. And they should have, well, I mean... Fresh after a Champions League defeat, that would have been the time to go in and get all the players and say, "All right, let's do a Liverpool. Let's win it next year. Let's give new contracts to people." And Tottenham are notoriously poor payers, um, and and so you know we're going to bring in some good signings in the summer. Let's look forward, get everyone back on side, get Pochettino, give him some more moral authority, and give the team, uh, you know, sort of stiffen the squad. And they didn't do that. So they've, they've let it drift. And now if they're willing to accept a really, really poor year and let these players idle the way to, um, to a new club and wait for next summer to, to do some buying and give Pochettino a new team, well, that's all well and good. But I don't think, I don't think that will go down too well um, with Daniel Levy. I don't think it will go down well with the fans. I don't think either the players or Pochettino want it. So they're in a really ugly situation. Ben, one of the things Pochettino kind of got the most credit for when he arrived at Spurs in 2014 is he took a look at players like Eunice Kabul, Emmanuel Adebayor, Atenian Kapue, and he decided that those players aren't with me. They're available to, to, to go, and I'm going to bring through the likes of Kane and Deli Ali and all, all those kind of younger players. Do you think that that's something he could do now? Because we saw how close a player like Wanyama came to leaving the club. He didn't. And now he's straight back into the first team. So do you think that kind of nuclear option is even available to Pochettino? It seems quite far off, right? I mean, it's 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 a tricky situation for him. Like Tony says, the message does go stale. And unless you do give him five or six brand new first teamers, then that message will be stale. I think the likes of Harry Kane will be there for most of their careers Spurs fans would hope but the rest of it you do need to sort of recycle that the hope is of course that some of the guys they did get so Tangi and Dombele who started off very very well doesn't seem to have kicked on again from there which is a bit disappointing I think losing Gio Celso for a couple of months really was really less than ideal because he it was a player offered them something different and again that would have been the a freshness into that centre of, of the park Instead, you've now got Vincent Wanyama playing meaningful minutes, which nobody wants. And Ryan Sessegnon is interesting, but he probably arguably plays the position on the field that they've got the most depth in. So it's tricky to see how he's going to, say, dislodge Son or Ericsson or Ali from the forward part of the field. There is some talk that he might go back and play left-back, but if they're conceding goals, I'm not sure if that's the ideal thing to do either. It's... It's quite Poch is quite interesting because when we spoke, when we read our Pochettino Tottenham special a few weeks ago, a month or so ago, it didn't see he was sort of backed into a corner that it felt like his options had sort of diminished. And then now, as football does, it's all changed quite a lot. And it would you you could certainly see a scenario where in the next six eight weeks, both the Real Madrid and Man United jobs are open again, which we never thought was going to happen. Back in the summer, we thought that ship had sailed. So he spoke definitely after the Newcastle game about Christian Eriksen in particular not having his sort of head in the game, as it were. There could be a scenario where his own motivations and sort of attentions could be called into question as well. And that might be a situation that suits everyone if, um, you know, because United were very interested in him. And if that comes around, uh, the, the, you know, it'll suit United. 
It might suit Levy and certainly suit some of the players uh, at Tottenham. The question is then, who's your turn to for a replacement? And that's the problem. Mm. And uh, the thing is, Pochettino's undeniably got ability. And, but the, the, the biggest problem for a young manager who's on an upward trajectory is when he hits that loss of faith with the squads for the first time and whether he can turn it around and, and, and change things. Otherwise, it's one of those things that marks you for your career. People know that you're probably going to get two years, you know, maybe three out here, and then they've got to replace you. And he doesn't want to get that reputation. So in many ways, while it might suit everyone for him to go to Old Trafford, the best thing for him personally would be to turn this round and rebuild his reputation. And look, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to Real Madrid now, uh, or, or even United now, it's going to be a difficult job in a long haul, and neither of those places are particularly forgiven if you don't get instant success. Okay, so time for the, the same question I'll ask you guys about United. Where do we think Spurs are going to finish? Do you think they're good for the top four, or can you see any danger of them dropping out the top six? I, think the, I don't think they'll drop out the top six. I, th- I think at the moment, they'll struggle to get in the top four, but they'll be there or thereabouts. I think they're getting. I think, I think, like we said, I think Pochettino, for the faults that we've talked about at length in this studio, he's still one of the best managers in the league. And I, th- mm. I do, I'll, I'll back the fact that he can turn things around. There's so much room to grow in that squad. If they do come back together again, Kane's the best striker in the league. Deli mm. Alley's one of the best young players in the country. He's got that in him to do it. Eric, I focused Ericsson is their best player entirely. So I think that squad... And allied with what we've already talked about with the failures around other clubs I think that I think they can do it I think they'll be back in whether they can push Liverpool and City as close as they did last year I don't think so but I think they can get top four Okay, time for a quick break Uh, when we get back we're going to be talking about the likes of West Ham Leicester and Everton and whether they have a realistic chance of gate crashing the big six of the season Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. This week we're talking about the Big Six and whether this is the season that the Premier League's struggling heavyweights can finally be toppled. 
Ben, let's start with Leicester. Um, what have you made of their start to the season? And do you agree with James Madison uh, when he said that their win over Tottenham confirms that they're now one of the, one of the Premier League's big teams? I mean, they won the Premier League title, so they're 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 pretty close anyway. I think it's that sort of glass ceiling is. It feels like it's there to be smashed. I mean, it's a lot easier to say so at the start of a season. It's very pretty to see lots of new players and all these how it's going to turn out. It's a little, it's a lot more difficult in practice. They do look like a great unit. We've talked about before how the importance of doing your transfer business before you sell your best player, not afterwards. And they've been perfect at it. The fact that they had a guy in Soyunku who looks outstanding just to slide straight in, meaning they didn't even have to replace Maguire anyway. But a guy, people like Yuri Tielemans, James Madison, Iosi Perez, just all seem to just fit. And it's like certain teams, United, as we discussed already, don't fit, don't necessarily feel like they have a, a plan of what they want to be and who they want to sign. Leicester definitely do. You just you just know that these players just fit the collective idea that Rodgers has for his teams and the way they play. And they've started really well. I think it would have been very easy for the sort of the pre-season hype machine to get a bit out of control and then you stumble, especially when you go to a place like Stamford Bridge really early on in the year. But they perform well in that game. Madison looks a great player. And I think Vardy's going to get you 20, 25 goals every year. Um, They look a good team. And I think if the rest of the top four continue to sort of stumble and can't get out their own way, then why not? Tony, have you been impressed with what Brendan Rodgers has kind of achieved there since he since he joined from Celtic? Yeah, very, very much. I mean, they've done really well and, they, you know, they, they play fantastic football and you can see they play in the way he wants them to play. Uh, the, the problem with Rodgers, and who have had me issues with in the past, mm-hmm. the problem with Rodgers is in many ways the same as we were talking about with Pochettino, is once you get to the second and the third year, it's how the players respond to him. But in that first year, he's brilliant at like uh, inspiring players and making them believe and getting them to do what he wants to do. It's um, and when you think he's doing that with you know people like Verdi, who's been around the block, heard it all before, and he's responded. You know, he, he you know he's taken he's taken three or four years off Verdi, hasn't he? You know, it's uh, he just looks like he did in the title winning season, and you know, and there's still a core of players there who remember that and know how to win. So it's a, it's a great combination with all these youngsters and he's very, very good with young players, at least at first, Brendan. And uh, and I can see them I can see them having a really good year and Madison is just a, a, a joy to watch. Bit of a curveball question, um, going back to, to Spurs. Do you think Rodgers would be a good replacement for Pochettino? Because it's interesting because I think it was 2012 when Daniel Levy first tried to appoint him. Yeah, well, definitely, and and he thinks he'd be a good replacement. Um, then, uh, then Brendan thinks he could manage anywhere. You know, it's a, he, if they had a whale team, Brendan put himself up for the job. Um, and and, and that, that confidence is a great thing. You know, it's a, you, you know we, we can sort of laugh at it, but it's a, it, it'll take him a long way, and um, and he, he he would be a a good match for that squad. He'd come in, he'd get them all together again, he'd make them feel good. Um, you know when. Whether he could keep the players there is always an issue because, you know, Tottenham famously don't pay that well. And we all know the only way you keep players at clubs, you win trophies or you pay the going rate. And when you do neither, then they want to go. And again, that's always Leicester's problem. You know, if they do do well at the end of the season, um, you know, to 
you know, will the players move on? Will Madison want to move on if they don't win anything? Um, and and there's another component with you know your, your players at Celtic talking about. You know, Rogers said to them, you know, have a good season, like, and I'll get you a big move, and then you get to the next summer, and it doesn't happen, and then that's when players tend to lose faith. So, I mean, unless he he's learned from his experience in Liverpool and Celtic, which I hope he has, and um, but yeah, I, at, at the moment, his, um, his stock is r- ridiculously high. Rogers is really interesting. I think it's it's sort of he's a very good manager, and clearly sort of. When his players like him, they really, really like him, and obviously that can flip. As with any manager, I think it'd be quite. It's quite interesting. I mean, it it sounds bad, but it's almost as if he's quite a good example of sort of a manager knowing his level to a degree, where it's good to have ambition, but also if you you also if you know where you've got to a place which is perfect for you. So David Moyes is an obvious example where he had Everton exactly where he wanted him and was perfect, mm. and then he went slightly higher and couldn't do it. Rogers experienced going higher. Did it well at Liverpool for a period, did it at Celtic for a longer period. Leicester feels like the perfect platform and level for him, really. I think he's got a young squad who can punch above their weight without the sort of expectation of going and doing something ridiculous and winning the league or Champions League and that kind of thing. It sort of suits everything he's good at. And then without that sort of like potentially what happened at Liverpool where you've got those sort of senior players with the bigger egos and the bigger reputations that he might not be able to manage as well. You're not going to come across that kind of problem at Leicester, certainly in the short term. I think it's a they're a really, really nice fit. And I think as a neutral, I'd love to see him stay for as long as possible and see how far he can take him. They've probably made the best start of that chasing pack. Um, let's move on to West Ham because, Tony, you were there. You said that they weren't particularly impressive against United. They had that awful start against City. And yet the fact that they kind of held off United and won 2-0, even though they weren't playing their best football, do you think there's, you know, there's a there's a positive in that? Well, there is there is a positive, and they'll, they'll certainly finish in the top 10. Uh, for me, they don't move the ball quickly enough in the midfield. The, um, you know, they, they, they're just a, a little bit slow on the ball, a little bit, you know, it's a bit, little bit pedestrian. Um, you know, they, they make mistakes at the back, but... Less mistakes than West Ham teams have seen in recent years, and they've got they, they have got a bit of a cutting edge up front. I mean, uh, Lanzini wasn't playing, and he does make a difference to them. I think, I think he's a little bit overrated, but he does have a bit of zip about him when the ball comes into him. He'll he'll, he'll give a first time and go, or he'll beat a man and open up some space. So I think that that will. Um, That'll, that'll make a difference. But they'll score goals. I mean, if they can get the ball up quickly, I think Haller will be a real success because he's very good at the, not just the hold-up stuff, but the you know the knock-ons, the flick-ons, and then rolling off the the centre half and making the run for the you know for the return ball. So I think they'll they'll score a lot of goals that way, and they they, they will beat. Um, they, they they'll beat a lot of teams in the league quite quite funny and and just I've just remembered it I was talking to to someone obviously uh, after the game um, connected with West Ham and they said to me this is a Norwich caused us more problems than United and um, you know so yeah you, you can cause them problems I'm not just slagging off United <laughs> but you can cause West Ham problems but no I, I think they'll they'll certainly be a top 10 team I don't see them being in the top 6 Ben, you um, said before the show that you think of the chasing pack, they might be the kind of best set to either, you know, gate crash the top six or enjoy a kind of more sustained period of success. It's, Why is that? It's tricky. I think I think they've got several things that are just in their favour. Being a London team is just an incredible advantage. It means you can attract a player like Pablo Fornells, who 
in the best world in the world, is far too good for West Ham. And it's because he because you're in London, because it's a glamour team, because you have the the massive stadium that no one can see anything in. It's they have those advantages. I think Pellegrini is an outstanding manager who won the league. I mean, what more do you want? And I sort of that that Golden Sullivan for their many, many, many faults, which I'm sure we'll go on to, that they managed to attract him with obviously money, but their vision for the project and giving him money to spend is a credit to them. And I mean, he's an outstanding manager in, and much like sort of Rafa before him in other, at other clubs, having a manager like that will always give you a chance. So in a 50-50 game, which so much of the Premier League it appears is these days, apart from the very top two, in a 50-50 game, if you have Pellegrini on your side, it gives you an advantage. And I think they've got a they've got a chance. I think they've got some. They'll score goals, like Tony said, which is which is the hardest thing in football to do. So it gives them a chance. And then the guys like no, the everlasting, never dying Mark Noble and Declan Rice together. I think that's quite a nice two that sort of they complement each other. Felipe Anderson can flash best player in the league potential at times, and then go missing for weeks on end, which isn't ideal. Um, but him, Lanzini, Yarmolenko, Fornals, that's exciting. I think it gives themselves a chance. I think, yeah, it could be close. I think them and Leicester are sort of, to me anyway, feel like the sort of the the, the two teams who have a shot of knocking one of this quote-unquote big six off. I'd like to see a, I'd like, I, I want to see more of Fornals. There was a, there was a moment when uh, Yarmolenko knocked the ball to him down the line. That's a great ball. And it, United were exposed down the right. They were so exposed. Wan-Bissaka comes like piling across. And um, and Fornals like sort of looked at him, looked up, saw, saw Wan-Bissaka and thought, don't fancy this. And like, and he, he could have, really, he could have got to the ball, got a cross in before Wan-Bissaka arrived. But obviously Wan-Bissaka would have levelled him. But I thought, ooh, you know what? He was either thinking too much about where his cross was going to go or thinking, don't like this Premier League. Then got Everton. Um, Everton are obviously not made as great a start as, as West Ham and Leicester, but... I don't know, I think maybe in terms of kind of long-term success, they've obviously got the new stadium coming. They've got incredibly sellable assets. Tony, you're pulling a face on the stadium. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, there are uh, there are rumblings about the stadium. Um, uh, there, there's quite a few people who are quite cynical about it and think it's not going to get built. And... Um, yeah, I think this is a story that we'll see a lot more of in the next few weeks. I think it's uh, it's, it's going to be an, an issue, but where you are right. I mean, since um, since uh, you know, sort of the, the era of the new ownership, what should have been post Bill Kenwright, but it hasn't actually been. Uh, you know, the, the, there's been about a billion quid pumped into the club, and I think. People are getting very, very restive that they're not seeing the results of their investments, and um, I think I think the manager's in deep trouble. Yeah, how how much kind of do we think Marco Silva is really struggling? I mean, there's been an awful lot of investment. His win rate is similar to what it was at both preceding English clubs that he was at, so it would suggest he's not really learning from his mistakes. Do do, do we think Everton persevere with him for that much longer? I think a lot of Everton's problems, I mean, Tony knows them better than I do, I think a lot of Everton's problems of late have been from pulling the trigger too soon and not having that stability. And it's obviously you don't want to stick with a mistake, but also 
I feel like they could do it. Just hold tight for a little bit. They've got the investment in the summer was broadly speaking good. They've they're another team who in the past perhaps have been guilty of sort of square pegs, round holes, sort of buying the player rather than the player for their system. Whereas under with Marcel Brands, I think they've done a better job actually buying players who fit what they want to be. Um, I think Alex Awobi is a nice sort of signing for that. He sort of fits Everton quite well. It'd be interesting to see how Moisey King gets on when he finally gets a few more minutes, which I think the Everton fans are restless for. I think the biggest problem at Everton, it's the and it's their biggest strength, is the fan base. I think they're so desperate to get back to that relevance that they've only tasted fleetingly of late. And it's sort of that is, yeah, like I said, the, their biggest strength. They've got a massive fan base, passionate fans who want to be the equal of the the guys on the other side of Stanley Park, but it also puts an unbelievable amount of pressure on the managers and the players, so it's sort of a tricky balance to get to. Last question, who uh, do you guys think will be the most successful out of those three teams that we've spoken about, both this season and kind of looking ahead slightly more long-term? I'd say probably Leicester. I think they've sort of, they're closer to the complete team that Rodgers is looking at. There aren't many... Across the across the league, there aren't many better midfields than Indeedy, Tielemans, and Madison. And I think, I think, I mean, I think Liverpool would swap a couple of players for that. Mm-hmm. Um, for all three, and it's so it's. I think that fundamentally, they're they're a bit further along in the sort of the arc of what they're trying to build. I think Leicester are slightly further along than the other two. Long term, I think, like like you said, I mean, if with a bit of luck, Everton sort of have everything there to be able to do it, but it's a lot. It's a big leap from talking about it to actually doing it. I, I think Leicester, I mean, I had a long conversation on Monday night with uh, someone connected with Leicester and they were saying to me, that, you know, last year, you know, with the tragedy there with the owner, the family could have gone, well, you know, let's get out of this. Instead, they've committed themselves even more. Uh, Leicester's work as a club within the community there has, has turned a one, a one club city but into a... a even a more sort of um, a more vehement one club city. You go walk, walk around Leicester, and you look at kids playing footy in the park. They're all wearing the blue tops. You know, you don't see any. You don't see many Man United and Liverpool shirts. You know, um, Barcelona shirts. Everyone's buying into Leicester. There's a whole. You know, it, it used to be considered a rugby town. Now it's a football town. You know, it's uh, so th- th- there is such momentum and such a feel good factor. Around the police, I think um, the, 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 there's there's a lot of positivity that you can take through this season and into the next season. And they've got they've got a manager who, for all his flaws, is a good manager. And they've got they've got lots of good young players. I'd, I'd be feeling good if I was a Leicester fan. Okay, thanks, guys. Uh, we've got just enough time for a hero and villain of the week. Uh, Tony, you did villain last week, so let's go with a hero from you. Well, I'm going to go with uh, with trends trends for scoring that. Goal at uh, Old Trafford, you know, Old Trafford, Stamford Bridge. You know, he's 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 a great young kid. Does loads of work with the community. Um, you know, so he's involved with the, the food banks. Um, you know, when he was when he was twelve, he, he sort of saw his parents' friends, and they were running a charity. And he said to his parents, he says, "You know what? If I'm ever rich, if I'm ever." If I'm, you know, if I ever make it as a footballer, I'm going to start a charity and I'm going to help people. And he does, and he's a he's a credit to the to the community, and he's a, he's a top class player. And Ben, I mean, can only be Ronaldo. I think not being asked to go up the road to uh, go and accept your second prize because your best pal and rival is going to win it. I think it's a bit poor form. Um, 
Yeah, that was a bit disappointing, I think, from uh, from one of the best players we'll ever see. Voted elect best player in the world as well, which is, uh, yeah, that which is surprising. Anyway, uh, thanks, guys. Uh, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. And be sure to follow Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with everything going on. And if you're a new listener, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. 